Hello everyone and uh, welcome. It's the Wine Hour, the last show of 2021. A warm welcome to all of you. As we're coming to the end of 2021, all I can think of is how to make the best of the holiday season. And if, I, if there's one action that will be beneficial, it's this one. Disconnect from the virtual world. Get back into the real world. The reason why wine is such a wonderful beverage is because it's the perfect social drink. The excuse to gather around the table with friends and talk. It's being present in that moment, not interrupted by a message or a call. And if it's not wine, let something else be the excuse. Life is not about being connected 24-7, living mostly in a virtual world. The virtual world may be practical, but it removes many senses that we thrive on. We're still humans and not machines. Being in a space with others will always feel different, you know, real. So reconnect with your friends, loved ones, family, and if there's no one, reconnect with yourself. Go out in nature, enjoy a glass of wine, a book, music. We get the biggest pleasure from the simplest thing. Try it. It's not that hard. So here's the menu of today's show. First in on court, Jamie Akosh is going to be discussing about champagne shortages. Is it a hype or truth? Then in License to Taste, Tanisha will talk about the reason why champagne has become the festive drink par excellence, and she will give you also unusual champagne food pairings. And finally, in Have a Drink With Me, I have the pleasure to welcome our special guest, David Dubon. Now, before we start, let me introduce you to today's cast. Coming from Burgundy, it's a pleasure to call him, and let me, can I say the Prince of Burgundy? Let me call him uh, David Dubon. Welcome. Good evening, David. Hello, everyone. What are you, you What are you drinking? Not wine. Beer. <laughs> it's okay. I come from Jura. We, we we have we have no prejudice. We can drink anything. Yeah. Jamie is drinking water, so we, we're fine with everything. <laughs> so, and now it's the moment you all have been waiting for. They're coming from our virtual studio, scattered across the world. It's the one and only wine dream team, and we're going to start way. To the West. Coming from St. Helena, our never going to survive unless we get a little crazy, Jamie Orajo. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment, but I'll, Actually, I'll it's, it, it is a compliment. <laughs> I'll take it as such. <laughs> it, is, it is a compliment because life is too, it's too complicated. So we need to, you know, Definitely. let go from time. Um, good afternoon. So I guess you're hydrating. Yes. Hydrating, hydrating. Got my bottle. Very okay. Californian of you. Okay. And now we're moving across the pond. So he's dancing in the dark as well, usually in the mornings. And I think rowing is some kind of a dance as well that he does uh, on the river. Yeah. Team. So from London, our very own uh, Akosh Portek. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How I don't you? drink water. I'm good. I, I drink uh, David Dubon, uh, Maurice Saint-Denis, 2012. That's uh, much better than water in California. <laughs> yeah, but it's 12.30 your time. Come on, you have an advantage. It's 8.30 your time. No? Yeah. Always yeah. an advantage. Every single week. <laughs> yeah, I know. It keeps coming that way. Although once you went to New York, so that was, you know. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. And now. She's uh, just around the corner. If you ever need any kind of advice and uh, knowledge on wine, and see, she has been recently ennobled at the Chansonnerie des Papes. We shall call her now Dame Tanisha Townsend. 
Good Hello. evening, Your Highness. Good evening. <laughs> good evening. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What are you drinking? I'm not drinking anything. I ran here to get on the. Uh, it's perfect. Zoom, so and we're yeah, so... nothing yet. Okay. Nothing yet. Perfect. So if everyone's is ready, uh, grab a glass of wine, of water, of nothing, of beer, and uh, just here's a toast to all of you. Cheers. And uh, now just relax and enjoy the show. Today's on court is all about the champagne shortage. Is it hype? Is it truth? Are we going to live through a bubbleless uh, holiday? Before we start, I just want to run a very quick poll and uh, we look at the uh, results at the end of the conversation. So here we are. So just answer these whenever you have time. And uh, who wants to start? Jamie. <laughs> yes, I'd be you happy were, to. You were, you were mentioning something about the conspiracy theory. Yeah, I, I, so I obviously have seen the social media posts and heard all the reports about how, um, you know, there's going to be no champagne at Christmas and there's this huge shortage and all of this. And yes, there's been supply chain issues, God knows, over the last two years. Um, but there's champagne in every single store that I've gone to. And the statistics just came out, I think yesterday or the day before, that this year, they've sold more champagne than since 2011. 315 million bottles or cases, I can't remember, bottles. bottles. So it's a complete hoax. And basically they're hoping that they can get us to do what everybody did with toilet paper at the beginning of COVID, lose our ever loving minds and buy bottles and bottles and bottles and hoard and stockpile champagne um, in order to, to not have any shortages over Christmas, but there's plenty of champagne out there. There's plenty of champagne in the stores. So I think it's a hoax. It's a conspiracy. So where does this news came out from? Well, I have done a bit of a homework on that. As you know, yeah. I've been I've been going to champagne since 1992. So I pulled in some serious uh, people in there and I asked them what was really the situation. So I had the big brand side of it. I had the small producer side of it. And I think that, um, like everything else, uh, it's never clear cut. It's really a combination of two things. One is really uh, there is a supply issue. But the other thing is the Champenois are spitting in their hands and saying like, you know what, guys? January next year, the prices will go up by 30%. So for the time being, we're going to hold everything back. No, not you, David, but they're going to do the burgundy <laughs> stuff where they're going to basically jack up the prices by 30, 40%, 50%, just like that. And um, what Jamie said is correct. There is a magical number in Champagne, which is a 300 million. So the, when they sell 300 million bottles, the Champenois are happy. Now, the 340 something million was uh, 2007. That was the highest they have ever achieved. In 2020, they did 265 million. So it's not exactly like, oh my God, you know, they starved to death kind of thing because the government made up the rest in terms of cash to pay to them. But in 2019, they did a normal harvest. In 2020, COVID hit. 
and they told them you need to reduce the quantities that you can you can harvest. So then again, Jamie is going to laugh. They went from 95 hectoliters a hectare to 50 hectoliters a hectare. So again, let's cry a little bit more for that. But um, obviously for those who don't know, but you know, David would do maybe 30, 35 hectoliters a hectare, uh, you know, in, in, in his vineyard. So in Champagne, they always know, they always, they call the frenzy, they milk the vine, the vineyards, right? So they do 95 hectoliters per hectare. Now that dropped to 50 and the rest, they had to just basically either not harvest it at all, just drop it down and uh, the animals ate it. Then came and the, the, the thing, which is that in 2021, they had the smallest harvest since the history uh, of Champagne in like, I don't know, last 50 or 60 years. So then there is the element of what happened last year. Everybody says that the Champagne consumption dropped. The Champagne consumption, if you actually see what the consumers drank, didn't drop. What happened is the supply chain emptied itself. People didn't buy from the champagne houses. The supply chains were completely full and they emptied it and they sold it on. But they didn't buy from the champagne houses because nobody knew how long it's going to last this entire pandemic until people will actually continue buy champagne. So now what happened is that the uptakes have happened so fast and that is a fact. It's so fast. And there is what Jamie said is that actually people are hurting and, and the supply chains are filling up and trying to buy even more champagne. And now there is this moment where they still have one billion, I mean, not million, one billion bottles of champagne sitting underneath in the cellars of champagne. It's a fact. Everybody knows it. There's three years of sales of champagne there. So there's no shortage of champagne. But what took off first was the high end. It wasn't the low end that took off first. And the high end, well, there is a shortage of supply coming in. And they, if you are an, a good quality champagne producer, you're not going to release the lower quality under the same label. So you hold it back. And there is also the dry goods supply problems. You have the, you know, the, 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 the shortage of labels, the shortage of paper, the shortage of cardboard boxes and everything else. And you add to that the logistical nightmare that we're going through is the perfect storm. So you have this side, which is the economical side. But then the other side, they also say, you know what, guys? We're going to hold back a little bit more as well, because next year, when, the, when, when we arrive to January, we're going to increase the prices. And you know what? Everybody is going to have to absorb it and they like it or they don't. End of story. Now, there are small producers who have champagne, who are great quality producers. And those people, you can buy their champagnes. We replaced Brunard Blanc de Blanc in many establishments, many because we, we have Marie Doyard, who is a wonderful lady making champagne, and uh, she makes amazing Blanc de Blanc champagne, and we sell her product instead. You know what? Nobody complains. Ruinard Blanc de Blanc is not irreplaceable. People drink well, it. And Akos, I think also that one thing that in the US anyway that people don't remember is that in 2019, a ton of the importers bought pallets and pallets and, and containers and containers of champagne because they were worried about the tariffs. Tariffs, yeah. So in fact, when we came into the pandemic, there were a load of the major importers and distributors who had stockpiles of champagne yeah. that they then went through and sold through 2020 and exactly. into 2021. But there's, yeah, there's plenty of champagne. And I think it's actually been very interesting because you know, they tried to get a little traction on social media about like, oh my God, you know, ooh, supply chain problem, right? Everybody knows that's a real thing. So we'll put that out there. And everybody knows that, you know, 
people are just in weird, like hoarding mentalities at the moment, whether it's like I said, toilet paper or whatever else. So that's like a little red flag for people. And then the holidays, everybody's finally saying, you know, we're going to have a, a, a not COVID holiday season or, or COVID light, um, not as bad as last year. So everybody wants to celebrate. Everybody wants to get together. Da, da, da. Champagne has done such a great job marketing itself as the wine of festivity and, and um, celebration. I think they've tried really hard to make it seem like, oh my God, you have to go out and buy tons of champagne right now. Otherwise you won't have any for Christmas. But um, it's so just not- is it, is, it, is it greed talking? It's basically I, what happened is 13- trying to create a story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but at the end of the day, year, if you want to push for sales and you know there's no specific reasons why, first of all, they want to increase the prices as well because they have so much stock, is it greed? Well, the, the, the thing is last year at this, you know, in, in, in May, you could buy a bottle of uh, Moët Chandon on the shelf in London for $17.99 because the supermarkets were like literally selling them off. They, they did, they, everyone was choking on it, right? And now all of a sudden they, they, they suffered this and they don't want to see that again. They just don't. They say, okay, you know what? We have to manage it. And that's how they do it. They regulate the supply. And that's mm -hmm. it. End of story. Okay. So I don't know if it's greed per se. I think... You know, the marketing machine in Champagne is very powerful and it's actually very talented and it's very good. And I think it was too good a story to pass up. Okay. Yeah. So whatever even makes, makes the buzz, basically. So even, even if people, let's say, were not going to drink Champagne, probably they say, oh, by the way, we should get it before it just disappears. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> this is an opportunity for intelligent people to finally realize that it's time to move away from the big brands, buy real producer champagne, which is actually available and you can buy it and it's better than the big ones. And maybe they'll discover, they're like, okay, you know what? I've been paying, you know, 30, 40 pounds of 60, $70 for a Grand Marque and for the same price or even cheaper, I can get a real producer who makes wine like they make in Burgundy, like they make in Napa. And you know what? The end product is actually better. So maybe. Once, I will have to say it, it's a holiday miracle. I agree with Akosh completely. Okay. So let me share with you. <laughs> let me share with you the, the, the answer of the poll. Uh, and so basically the first question was, uh, is champagne your go-to festive drink? Yes. Uh, for 80%, 83%. Uh, the second question, if champagne is not available, what is your next choice? Prosecco, uh, 8%, Cava, 50%. I forgot Cremant. So sorry, Salveg. Yes, I apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> so Cremant, there will be probably takers for that. Uh, white wine, uh, just a little bit. Red wine, a bit more. Beer, no. Whiskey, no. Water, no. It's champagne or nothing. 70%. Okay. But that's really interesting, though. I mean, that Cava would be next doesn't surprise me, but that red wine would be the third choice. Yes. But our sample yeah. is kind of it's kind of small, so small. But, <laughs> but uh, what but I was surprised still. is that Cava is before Prosecco because you would think that no Prosecco and well, people of taste are on this call. <laughs> <laughs> it just means that we've we've taught them so well over the last year. Absolutely, indeed, yeah. They're getting so. so so, the, the, so the, there's this question about so if if marketing for those big brands are are starting to you know push uh the 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 storyline on there's shortages you should buy from us and of course you're saying now it's time for you to discover the smaller brands mm -hmm. how can the smaller brands be present when the big marketing machine is so powerful and takes the space of the message 
But see, you know, I think this is it. This is, this is the whole downside of that big marketing machine. In the same way that, you know, the marketing machine pushed this message of champagne is the wine of festivity and then kind of put themselves in a box where that's the only time people think of champagne. I think, you know, it pushed this message of scarcity and actually opened the door for the small producers to actually get share of mind. Well, of course. I, it's, you know, I, it's, it's completely true. The, the thing is that um, from the champagne, uh, the, the big brands perspective, uh, they view themselves as virtually invincible. Right. So for them, from their perspective, they really don't care about this stuff, whether you're going to drink champagne or not. You know, I mean, imagine when Fauchon and Ediard call up a big champagne house. I'm not going to name which one. They're going to call up and they say to them in May that, you know, we are would like to discuss like we do every year. Oh, actually, it was in March uh, every year. What is uh, going to be our allocation for the rest of the year? And we want to, you know, you know, basically put it in a, in, in a box and say this is ours. We buy it. Guess what? The answer was not only you're not going to get what you're asking for, but in September, we're going to increase the prices. That has never, ever, ever happened before okay never before this is the first time so now you know we are we went again from uh, a, a supply uh, from the demand uh, perspective to a supply perspective where the supplier has more power than the, than the than the customer and they are the ones who dictate it and this is ultimately going to lead to more profitability for them that's it they want to make more money and that's what they're going to do and the small producers, they're not going to jack up their prices because they are just, they don't function that way, you know? And I think there is a wave for the, the small can... producers to ride because the big machine, if the big machine didn't exist, the small producers wouldn't have stood a chance. The big yes. machine is there because it's like a spearhead. It goes in there and spreads the word. The reason why everybody wants to be uh, celebrating with champagne is because of the big names. They have the money. They have the power. They are the big whale. And then you have the small fish on the side. They are the small producers. Without the big whale, the small producers are dead. It's a necessity to have the big brands. It's a necessity. Agreed, but, how, but also the small brands don't have the quantity to actually satisfy, no, all, no, right? They, they need no. in those smaller spaces. Absolutely. Yeah, but at the same time, when it comes to distribution, it may be harder for the smaller brands to get that access definitely to, to the definitely. clients. Totally. So how do you? So so if you're saying if you're saying it's an opportunity for the smaller brands to come out, how are they going to actually achieve it to get the bottle in front of 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 the of of the drinker of the buyer? I think. For the U.S. anyway, I think it's it's an opportunity for those small brands that already have distribution here, yeah. because yeah. I think what's happening to Akush's point is that somebody who had Moet or Veuve or whatever that they were selling into a point of distribution, they're now saying, OK, well, I can't get that. So I'm going to offer you this, this, this and this. Um, and so it's, it's they're getting more uh, points of distribution rather than signing with a new distributor. I don't think any yeah. distributors are going out and finding no. new wineries, no. but they're actually elevating the smaller wineries that they have because to fill in the holes left by the bigger producers. Yeah, and in France, if you're in France as a producer, you can sell more to the local French market. 
that's the reality. But you're not going to be, you know, knocked on the door by somebody now to say for the next four months, I quickly need from you to, to bring champagne in because it's too late anyway. If you're either on the, in the field at the moment and you are there and you're ready to have with stocks or you don't, then in that case, you know, that's a lost opportunity. But don't worry, everyone. There's plenty of champagne in the market. Oh, yeah. And Definitely. you are going to have plenty of bubbles to celebrate your holidays with. So I just want everyone to feel reassured that yeah. they will not have a bubbleless holiday. Now, if you were That's to true. choose, if you were to choose, okay, champagne, cava, prosecco, crément. <laughs> Which one would you choose? Champagne. Uh, definitely champagne. Sorry. I love you all, but yeah, no question. David, what would you prefer? Would you prefer champagne, crément, cava, or prosecco? Uh, champagne. Champagne. This okay. being said, I prefer a wonderful cava over a crap champagne. Indeed, no question about it. But I wasn't thinking about crap champagne. <laughs> <laughs> you never think about crap anything. Dominic <laughs> has a question. Somebody put their hand up. This is so exciting. It's never happened. Okay, okay, okay. It did happen before. Okay, Dominic, uh, are you? If you're, if you're camera friendly, we welcome you. Oh, you're dark. It's okay. He's driving. <laughs> Hi, Dominique. Okay. You, oh, live yeah. in, you live in Lebanon. There's no, there's no electricity. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I'm, I, I am. I'm out in the car, but I'm parked up. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So, very much enjoying your conversation. Very interesting about supply demand and champagne, how they they regulate the price, and of course, the whole appellation system has originated from trying to control supply. Uh, to control price. But my, my question is really, so I, I live in England in the southeast uh, in Sussex and all around me is English sparkling wine and it's a growing market. It's still tiny by international standards, but in the UK it's a significant force now and it hasn't really taken share from Champagne, but it has taken share from Prosecco, which is interesting because it's a very different price point. What I'd love to know from, from you guys is what you think about this um, scenario and what opportunity it would present to English sparkling wine, both in the domestic UK market to further increase its visibility share um, and also with respect to exports to the US, to Northern Europe, to the rest of the world. I think English sparkling wine is actually um, taking more and more um, the biggest space on the scene of the sparkling wine world. Uh, I have to be honest with you that about 10 years ago, when I did uh, the lineup of the 20 nice, you know, best uh, English sparkling wine producers, I literally had to go to the dentist the next day because my teeth were falling out. It was absolutely the most horrendous experience I ever had in my life. Um, this that was a long time on. ago. That was a long time uh, ago. Yes, yeah. but in a decade, let me tell you, the industry has moved on. And uh, there is one thing is for sure that England benefits from global warming. There's no, no 10 ways about it. And as much as, you know, Napa Valley is complaining about global warming, uh, here in England, actually it's getting better because if you look back when uh, a thousand years ago, well, the, the, the Champagne Chalky Hills continued into down to the south of England in when, it, when, when the land was connected. It moved away and the British Isles were created, but the land itself, the quality remained the same. The weather was not the same, but now the weather is much better. And I can tell you, there are now American distributors, I know plenty of them, who are looking into 
English sparkling wine and they bring it into the United States for a fact. I know that from Scandinavia as well because I go on a business in Scotland and in, in, in Sweden. And in Sweden, they are looking at also English sparkling wine, even sustainable August, the monopoly is looking at that. It's coming there. The problem is that let's be honest with each other. The price point of the most English sparkling wines are so high that you can get yourself a really, really, really good vintage champagne from France for the same price. And that deters a lot of the customers. That is the honest truth. Definitely. Yeah, but I with, mean, think, with time. Similar... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Jimmy. It's a similar thing to, to some of the Napa Valley wines, right? Um, it's expensive to make wine here. It's expensive to make wine in the UK. And so our wine prices are higher than in some other <laughs> subsidized countries like France or Italy or Spain. Um, and so oftentimes the vast majority of our production will actually be sold locally because chauvinism will pay a supplement. It happens in China as well, actually. The Chinese wines are actually very expensive for what they are, um, but they sell a lot of them in China. So um, I think it's, it, it I don't see English sparkling wine in the short to midterm making huge inroads in the US. Um, but I mean, there's always a possibility of, of um, you know. It doesn't have the volume. Mm -hmm. It's just simply there's a volume constraint. And the reality of the thing is that, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, a big producer here would make a million bottles. Moate Chandon bottles a million bottles a day. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're not even in the same league here. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it's the bottling line of what Chandon bottles a million bottles a day and that's it, you know. So, you know, that's where we, we But are, that could, we that are could be there. the small producers you were talking about before. It's, yes, it's another course. offering. I mean, and, yeah, but I and, also think that to Akash's point, the big marketing machine, those smaller producers have benefited from that. Yeah. And there is not the same marketing machine in the UK industry. So I think, well, and presumably post Brexit um, prices are not going to get any cheaper in export because now all of a sudden you've got all kinds of other taxes and issues going on. Yeah. So what is interesting with all this conversation is that probably we have the topic of one of the next uncorked, which is going to be the impact of global warming in terms of production, because you're seeing in places they're doing wines and champagnes in different styles that they were not able to do before because of, Temperature. I was I was offered a Norwegian red white I was going to, say. to distribute <laughs> in the United Kingdom. This is how this is how global warming is really affecting the world. So so that I think that's actually that's that's more sort of crazy people than global warming, to be honest. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. <laughs> so to conclude the Orange Core for today, your is some thumbs up and thumbs down for the week and weeks to come. Thumbs up is it's almost the holidays and I got my booster shot today. Uh, thumbs down is I keep forgetting that I got my booster shot today and I keep smacking my arm and it's really painful. <laughs> yeah, so, so thumbs up is that uh, England has gone into, I don't know, they, they I mean, for the first, past five months has been like, England was on drugs. It was like the 60s all over again. And uh, with this, I don't even know, om omni something variant that came from South Africa. Now they have Did introduced not come from new... South Africa. 
It did not matter. come from South Africa. <laughs> they they oh sold this. They sold this stupid the thing to us. She, she, she's they, debunking they, they everything. Sold, they sold this stuff to us like it, it came from South Africa. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so now they made things like life a lot, you know, more difficult, and uh, it resulted in uh, massive cancellations of uh, hotel rooms and everything else oh, yeah, in London nice. immediately because the international crowd just didn't come, and um, and so that's that's really the the. So you know the thumbs that's the thumbs down, but it's it's just unfortunate that it, it's happening. But otherwise, you know, I think positive life is good. No, it's positive. I mean, it's been amazing. I mean, we had one of we had the greatest month in the sales of the history of top selection ever in the last twenty one years. It was in, in in November. Like never seen numbers like that before. And people drink like wines. That the high end is just insane, absolutely insane. The top end is booming. In London, it's I've never seen that. Not me, but people who've been here for forty years have never seen something like that before. So mm. thumbs up for the people who drink and they spend the money. <laughs> that's great. And you know what? In, I in think moderation. I, in moderation. <laughs> that's their choice. I'm not. I'm not Madame Catena. You know, they can drink as much as they want. But the reality <laughs> of the thing is that in the long term. You know, I think that when uh, when they gonna somebody will come up and say, you know, oh, actually, we're not gonna die from this virus either, and they're gonna reverse these things. I think January, if that's the case, January will be as good as December. It's yeah. because people will be out again all of a sudden and said, you know what, screw it, let's continue. So you know what, live life to the full. That's all I have to say. Perfect. Yes. Jamie Akosh, thank you very much, and I'll see you. Have a great holidays, and we'll see you on the January the. 13th. Now on to License to Taste with uh, Tanisha Thompson. Bye. Hello, Tanisha. How are you? I'm good. You're good. Okay, so tonight yes. you're going to tell us uh, why champagne has become this festive drink by excellence. It's everywhere. The marketing machine has been there. So tell us. What happened? Oh. Why? Why is it the case? Why is it not port? We're saluting well, George Sandeman, who is with us this evening. Right, port, you kind why, of put me on the spot with that one. So yeah, no, no, but why, why wouldn't be port it. wine? Why? Why is it the case? Well, because champagne started in, um, you know, where the region is and where Hans is, which is in the Champagne region. Clovis I was baptized in the cathedral on Christmas Day in uh, 466 AD, he was coronated as the first king of the United Franks, and they celebrated that with champagne. It was still at the time, but it was oh. still what they called champagne at that time. Okay. So as time went on, they just started, they drank what was in the region. And since kings were coronated there, and then baptisms and all of that, it became a drink of celebration, coronation, and also of the elite. Then it became fizzy. It was... It became sparkling and England got a hold of it. We're now in the 18th century. And so they started requesting it. And this is the elite in England. They started requesting it. So it was shipped over there. Then France, they started requesting it more as far as the nobility of France, nobility of England. And now at that point, it was one of the most luxurious, also exclusive types of wine on the market. Then we get to King Louis XV in the 18th century and the rise of a large champagne house that we know today. Huenard, Louis Roderer, those R's always trip me up in French. Louis Roderer, it's okay. You get it, that, you got it, you got it. That, and yes. uh, Moet and Chandon 
And actually, Moet and Chandon, when they got on the scene and they did a marketing campaign for their luxury brand, they associated champagne with celebration. And so that status symbol, making it synonymous with the finer things in life, that stuck. And so other champagne houses were like, oh, okay, well, they're doing it with celebration. So let's specifically make our champagne for celebrations. So champagne bottlers started to market for specific occasions. There was an engagement champagne and a marriage champagne and a new parent champagne. So anything that needed to be celebrated, they associated it with champagne. And that's how we got to where we are today. Okay, so at the beginning it was for the elite, for the people from the aristocracy, Mm -hmm. uh, the kings first, and then afterwards people from the aristocracy. And then afterwards, because everything goes down and it trickles down to all the people, then they said, okay, let's sell these things to everyone. And this Mm -hmm. is how it started. That's it. And the cool thing that I did find out too when I was um, looking into this is uh, uh, you know how athletes spray champagne yes. or whatever it happens to be. So that started at a sporting event, um, a race in Le Mans in 1967 with Dan Gurney and AJ Foyt. They had a bottle of champagne in hand and they wanted to share it with their audience and with their fans so they shook it up and that's the way to share (laughs) and that's how they shared it and that's why everyone does that now when they win nice nice now you know everything about why champagne has become this festive drink if you want to ask tanisha any kind of questions even not related to champagne or anything related to wine you can just raise your hand and we'll put it in the chat now so now we put this fact that uh, most of the people, anyway, the, the poll said it before, champagne is the, their go-to drink, like their festive drink. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to food, um, we're talking about some kind of unusual pairings. And it shouldn't be unusual because it's delicious. Now, we already, you know, the lobster and the caviar, people know that. But um, also, uh, like salmon and like creme fraiche is very nice. So like a salmon blini. That is delicious. If you have to do the lobster, lobster mac and cheese is very nice with champagne. Um, lobster mac and cheese? Yes, it's a thing. It has happened. Okay, in the US. <laughs> because in France, I wouldn't okay, see them fine. having lobster well, mac, mac, and, and mac and cheese. Well, mac and cheese doesn't happen in France. <laughs> yeah, so. it's true. It's true. <laughs> mac and cheese doesn't happen here. Okay, we're an no, international show. Okay, we, we, we yes. <laughs> biggest audience yes. is in the US. So, so for our French uh, audience, please forgive us. <laughs> Lobster mac well, and we cheese. Said is ma- a- well, we said mac and cheese. So that already canceled out the French part because <laughs> they don't really do that. That's not really a thing that they do. So I say Netflix and chill the champagne. Uh, champagne is also very nice with popcorn. Any special keep- shows on Netflix with champagne that goes better? Oh, no. You know, I like true crime. So okay. I like so to scare myself. So true and, crimes um, and champagne. True to, crime, be more, yes. to be more specific. Okay. To be more specific. Yeah. And also my number one favorite pairing. Yes. Fried chicken and champagne. Yes. Okay. So whenever it, there's something a bit fatty in this. goes Rich yeah. fat salt. I was supposed to come up with an acronym, but nothing came to me. But just remember rich fat salt. Okay. So it has to be rich fat and salt and it goes very well with champagne. Yes. Now, you could have a demi-sec, which is a little sweeter. That's very nice with cheese. Okay, demi-sec and, okay, fair enough. Now yes, be- with, with like a blues cheese. So like a Roquefort or a Fom, um, Dobea, very, very good. Or Gorgonzola. Or that. 
Okay. Sorry, I was just in the French mindset with the cheeses. You're trying to save yourself. Because <laughs> you put me out there. <laughs> no, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, so very unusual pairings. Okay, very nice. So rich, fat, and salty. Salty. Mm-hmm. RFS. Or oh, I remember because SFR, which is also my phone service. So that's how I remember that. Yeah, that could work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Solveig is saying try Parmesan cheese with champagne too. Okay. And I guess that was good. Probably it's, it's salty. It is. I'm here. I'm there's here some fat. Salty. Yeah. And then, Sounds, yeah. Sounds can good. be rich. Mm-hmm. Ming, there's nothing wrong with mac and cheese and champagne. As it's just a lobster and the mac and cheese that I have. <laughs> it's, it's, champagne is, is not a problem. It's just the lobster side. Anyway, because lobster with mac and cheese, I think it do, does a bit of a disservice either for the mac and cheese or for the lobster itself. But that's, that's my take. Okay. I'm no. being so fancy, Antoine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So, the wine minute. Are you kind of ready for it? It's so this like one, rant, yeah, yes. here we go. Yeah, so, so this one, so just to, to tell the people about it. The topic of the wine minute today is what not to offer to a wine lover for the holidays. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Here we go. What not to offer for the holidays for a wine lover, wine professional. Don't buy me any more corkscrews. Those electric, the little fancy corkscrews that you have to plug in or put the batteries in. No, just don't do it. A waiter's corkscrew is perfectly fine. If you want to, you know what? You don't even have to give me one of those. I have enough because they give them out at events and things like that. So that's not the gift for the wine lover. As a matter of fact, unless it's the two-pronged one that helps you get out the old cork, just leave the corkscrews alone. Leave wine tools alone completely. Wine tools are not necessary. If you want to get something that is a really good gift, get a book, uh, whether it is a wine education book, a fun wine book, this one, the wine lover's bucket list, places to go for um, a wine lover. The forward is by Eric Asimov, a previous wine hour guest. So get, do something like that. Okay. Finished. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right. So no, no fancy corkscrews and stuff like that. No. Okay. I don't think we really use those. I mean, yes. hey, that's a good question for another poll. I don't think we really use those electric corkscrews and all those other no, things. We don't. Uh, can yes. I say something? Yeah, I mean, of Please. course you can. <laughs> I can tell you one thing. I agree with you 100%. These electric corkscrews and whatever, fine. But there is this other corkscrew for all the wines, mm-hmm. which works really well, okay. which is the one that is a combination of a corkscrew and the two blades in one. And it's called, is it David? Comment ça s'appelle? Dufaux, du, du, whatever. It's the Durand. Durand. That's the one. Thank That's you, Dominique. <laughs> that is, that thing quick too. actually works. <laughs> that works really well. I have to admit, this looks fancy. It's expensive as hell. I mean, it's like 200 pounds thing, so it's not cheap. But I can tell you, when you drink old wines and they're like 30-year-old and the cork is like on the verge of disintegrating, you put this in there, it comes out. Nickel chrome, comme disent les Français. It's very, very good. Okay, I thought you just break the bottle. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, no. Oh, we, oh, can, with the champagne, the champagne, you can saber it. But with the yeah. steel wine, it doesn't work that well. It doesn't work that well. Anyway. 
Thank you for the for for the information tip. So no t-shirts and stuff like that. Like I love wine and stuff. No, 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 no thing like that. That was another thing, but my minute was up. No t-shirts. Okay, no t-shirts. Okay. Ma Fair a enough. mask, like that's nice if you want to get a wine mask or socks. People can always use socks. So the little okay. socks to have if you can read this, bring more wine. Those are cute because if maybe. they can see your feet, basically. Yes. And also it's winter. <laughs> I don't want to know. You know, socks are nice. <laughs> okay, no, I don't want to nice. know. Okay. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, thumbs up that intronisé in the yes. chanson de pop. That was... pop. Okay. Thank right. you, Nicole. I got so excited. Nicole, you see your hi, Nicole. Yes. Nicole, <laughs> her speech that she gave for me was amazing. I mean, oh. amazing. I, oh, yeah. Hi, Nicole. Hello. How are you? Long time. Very good to be with everybody again. Yes, very wonderful to have you. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so she's now part of the Echansonnerie des Papes. Yes, yeah, she was wonderful. She was brilliant and did a great job. Great. We're proud of you, Tanisha. Dame Tanisha. <laughs> I told them that she had traded the Chicago Bulls for the Petanque Bulls. <laughs> Oh, that's a nice one. <laughs> it was so good. You're blending me in the local scene now. It's good. <laughs> it's gone native. Okay, so so perfect. Thanks, thanks, Nicole. So that's your thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. Even if there's if there's any one or no, no thumbs down. No thumbs down. Okay, <laughs> that, perfect. That was over. That's it. That was a thumbs down. Okay, perfect. So thank you very much. You have a wonderful holidays, and we'll see you on uh, January the 13th. And now, last but not least, have a drink with me with our special guest, David Dubon. Good evening. What a pleasure Good to day. have you with us. <laughs> Santé. Santé. <laughs> David, thank you very much for, for being our guest this evening, last guest of 2021. Uh, and... I have to say, Burgundy is one of these places that has, there's so, there's so many myths around it. And, and I really want to understand why has this region has become so prized? Because in the 70s, Burgundy was not that hyper, super well-known and, and, and places where people were buying the bottles and being coveted and things like that. Why is this place so special? Because it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes it more simple. <laughs> no, I think uh, because it's very, very small. And uh, we, we speak about for the high prices, it's for the Grand Cru. And um, the Grand Cru is just 250 hectares. It's just 800,000, 1 million bottles mm -hmm. uh, with a very good uh, vintage. And uh, it's very small in the world. I think it's because uh, you have a lot of different appellations, very small, small appellations, and uh, everybody with money uh, wants to buy Burgundy wines. And um, you know, in the world, every day, um, you have more and more people with more and more money, and uh, everybody wants to buy uh, in Burgundy, in Burgundy and in Bordeaux, but Bordeaux, maybe it's for this moment a little more difficult 
because it's very uh, big appellation and um, it's easier to buy Bordeaux because uh, je sais pas, I don't know, but uh, Latour it's 100 hectares, okay. 100 hectares. It's half of Grand Cru in Burgundy from Burgundy, but. I want to, to see the future because uh, it's possible to have a, a bashing bourbon for the okay. price. So be, before uh, we get to that, to that point, I, I want to ask you another question concerning that, that myth around Burgundy. Why are the wines so special? Let's say if someone doesn't know anything about wine, they've heard about you know, Burgundy and Bordeaux and things like that, and maybe they try it. But what makes it so special compared to other wine regions? Because, because it's... it's Very easy to understand. When you are on the principal road, the RN74, Route Nationale 74, and you cross the villages uh, from Dijon to Beaune, you look at the mountain and the villages. For all village, you have a, a mountain and a valley. Mountain, valley, new village. Mountain, valley, everywhere it's the same. And you have, you have no the, the same soul Um, under the mountain or uh, after the valley. You have a, dif um, a difference in the soil with the mixed with uh, clay and limestone. You have more alluvion uh, with the valley and more argile uh, on the flat area, more limestone at the beginning of the mountain and limestone on the mountain. And you have more minority when you go, uh, go up um, to the mountain. And it's the same for all villages. After, you have big difference. Uh, for example, with Nuit Saint-Georges, you have a, a big limestone, a hard limestone. And uh, when you test Nuit Saint-Georges, you have more uh, minority. And... Um, If you, if you taste a Chambon Musini, it's opposite and uh, it's very elegant wine because the limestone is uh, less hard and it's easier for the roots to cross it and to extract less minority. Okay, so the terroir is just exceptional, if I understand correctly. Exceptional, yes. I think uh, it's, it's very different if you compare Bordeaux because it's more flat and it's If it's flat, you have no difference in the soil. It's, uh, it's easier to understand. In Cotroti, for example, it's different because you have a mountain, but just one mountain. Okay. And all is on the mountain. You have some difference, but less like the Burgundy. Okay. Okay. And uh, maybe the, the Pinot Noir, it's easier to drink when it's young. Maybe it's one of the reasons. Okay. And When you can keep it uh, during a long time. A long time. Why did you join that profession? Why did you become a, a winemaker? And why in Burgundy in particular? Uh, because my parents uh, began in the 60s with uh, nothing. We live in the small village uh, in the Haute-Côte-de-Nuit, appellation uh, Haute-Côte-de-Nuit. It's just 10 kilometers from uh, Nuit-Saint-Georges in the mountain. And... Uh, 
when I was young, uh, at uh, 14 years old, uh, I, um, I I wanted to go to to Vines to work with my parents during the holidays. So it started six... very young. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I liked the wine very young. So <laughs> <laughs> I I finished the glass of the wine when my parents received uh, friends to the dinner, <laughs> and That's when nice. they left. I finished the glass. And, That's uh, nice. That's a good but, education. <laughs> yes, but it was uh, special because my parents didn't make the wine. They sold the grapes in cooperative. Okay. And uh, I had opportunity to, to make the wine uh, when I was 19 years old. And I began uh, in 91 uh, with uh, 20 barrels. And uh, now it's a little more big. Yes, a little bit more big, but but that 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 switch from from just selling your grapes to a cooperative and then making yourself the, the wine uh, is it is it difficult? Is it difficult yeah. to do that step first of all to create it to know how to create and then to sell it? I suppose yes, it, it was difficult because uh, yes, I, I was in the school, the wine school in Bonn, but um, and I did two internship. Uh, in my uncle estate in Morrisandy, one of in uh, Arlo estate and the other Amio estate. But without the the, the parents, it's complicated. Yes. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have a press <laughs> at the end of the fermentation. Oh shit! I have no press. <laughs> and uh, a friend uh, give um, gives a press for one day. And uh, after um, I did uh, everything because my father had uh, 20 hectares and uh, in 95, I vinify uh, everything. Okay. And now we have a 20, 25 hectares. Okay. When, when was your first vintage? 91. 91. Okay. For so the first. That's yes. the first one. And, uh, but it was no bad. Huh? It's. Correctly. Uh, now there's a lot of evolution. You decided to go towards organic, so bio. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Why have you chosen to 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 go towards uh, organic uh, growing? For me, to, for me, I, I um, before the organic, uh, I stopped uh, the herbicide in '99, uh, and after five years in 2006, um, I decided to. To start the organic culture because for me it, it was natural. Uh, stop everything, stop chemical molecules uh, because you everything go down in the soil and in the future water in your glass. And um, for me, it's I can't understand for the moment why uh, some winemakers continue in uh, conventional uh, culture. So you were but, saying you did this in 99, but at the time yeah. there was not so much awareness about organic, about the environment, etc. It was not like today. Today, everyone talks about protection of the environment, going organic, etc. 99, it wasn't, they wouldn't, people weren't talking that, about no, it no, that it, much. It, it was the, 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 the beginning of uh, organic uh, culture. Some people, yes, since a long time, but five, ten people. Uh, on La Côte de Nuit. Uh, but now in Burgundy, we are happy because uh, a lot of, with the new generation, a lot of people change. But uh, for me, organic is 
uh, it's finished for me. We, we, we have to do organic. And now we, we, we think about for the future, for, the, um, for the, 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 the new culture, for the new work in the, in the vineyard to, to, to stop, not to stop, to continue with a good vines with the new climate. Okay. We, we have to change a lot of things. Okay. Before talking about the challenges of the future, we're going to come back to that. I, I, I want to take a small break. Vanessa De Mata featuring Ben Harper. Why did you choose this song? I like uh, Ben Harper. <laughs> 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 But I like uh, a lot of different singers and, uh, and uh, different uh, styles, uh, different uh, sound. Yes. But, um, I want to go to, to see Ben Harper. But with Vanessa De Mata, it's... Yeah, she's, she's amazing. And, and, yeah. and Daniela Breit is from Brazil. Obrigado. Hello. Mm. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> and I have to say, definitely, this is the song. This is kind of songs that, like wines, sometimes you, you have just a sip of it and you know you just love this. And, and this song, when it came out a long time ago, uh, it, it, was, it was just like that. First listen and you, you just adore it. Uh, so yeah, it will be available on your on your playlist uh, on on Spotify. Question from Ming: uh, What is your thoughts on biodynamics as we're talking about organic? What do you think about biodynamics? La biodynamie. Um, I didn't think. I, I didn't want to to do biodynamic because I'm very pragmatic man and. Um, it was necessary for me to compare in the same parcels half in biodynamic and the other half uh, just organic. Um, because I'm a atheist. Atheist, think, oui. Atheist. atheist. Yes. Oui. And for me, biodynamic, it, it was... Um, uh, Going to the project. church. <laughs> yeah. But, okay. but I changed it since three days. Ah, okay, so this yes. is new. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you did go to the I church had, after all. <laughs> yes, because I had a very good result uh, with the um, organism INRA, l'Institut National de la Recherche Agronomique. Agronomique. Okay. Yeah, and uh, they, they took uh, soul in my uh, Maurice and Niclos sorbet, okay, and in uh, a lot of different vineyards with different um, style of culture, biodynamic, organic, conventional, uh, with difference, and analysis uh, the biodiversity in the soil. And now we can say um, with the biodynamic, uh, you have more biodiversity, more different animals, and with more um, number. A lot okay. of biodiversity. Yes, it's not double, but it's better like without biodynamic. And I think I want to start now. Okay, so it, but, it does it does really have an impact. So it's not just you yeah. know like something yeah. like a, a belief yeah. that you may have. It does yeah, have yeah. an impact yeah. on the soil. It's it just analysis for the animals in the soil. Okay, you you don't know if it's better for the vineyard. Okay. Inra do the analysis. Yes, you have more uh, animals, more biodiversity, 
But after they stop here, we don't know if it's better for the vineyard, but I think it's better because if you have more animals in the soil, uh, the soil uh, have a good uh, good life and um, a good structure. But okay. for me, we, we can speak about the changement for me for the future now. Yes. Okay. If you want to start on the future, go ahead. Because I was, I had. It's it's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. We 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 have. Uh, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. okay. Forget it. There's no. We'll wing it. Don't worry. Go ahead. Okay. No, <laughs> no, no. Because for the the, the, the same things, um, we we want to change uh, the future because we we did we we do for the moment a lot of allowing the work on the soil to cut the the, the bad herbs. And um, it's a big problem. We have to stop um, this process because you extract a lot of carbon of the soil, okay. and um, you you have no uh, resource, no food in the in the soil, uh, and the 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 soil of the of the vineyard is dead. And we have to change because now the sun burn the food on the soil. The natural food, organic food with the, the wood of the vines. And when you put in the winter the food <laughs> with the sun now, you burn the, the food and you have nothing for the insect and animal in the soil. Okay. And uh, it's a big problem. And you have to, every, every, every time, you have to have a, 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 a vegetal cover, commodity protection. Okay. A vegetal um, protection on the soil to protect the soil. And now we plant after harvest different, uh, different plant. Uh, for example, a cruciferous plant, cereal, uh, leguminous, and with di different action in the soil. And uh, in March, it's uh, one meters. In, okay. in the vineyard, okay, and we do the wall to to um, to stop the activity of the vegetable, and um, after you have a good uh, mulch on the soil to protect to protect it, and um, you have uh, after you have um, the extraction of this plant, and you okay. have a big big food in the soil. Okay, so the green uh, the green food. Okay, and and we think about uh, trees. We want to plant trees in the in the vineyard, in the line. Okay, and uh, normally we can start now uh, in this uh, winter. Okay, and if you want to put bees around, because bees are playing a very important role, we can talk to Nicole Rollet about this. She has mm -hmm. a, a a project. Uh, it's called Sustainability. Uh, and uh, it's it's very important to 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 protect the whole environment around the vines and the vineyards. Mm. And there's this whole ecosystem of yeah. the plants and the animals and the insects and yeah. and whatever you have everywhere. And when this is protected and in balance, yeah. then you have a more sustainable environment. Yeah. So for I mean, you, the future, what is important is to protect that environment because of the changes in climate. Exactly. And uh, if you plant uh, eighty hundred trees per hectare in the vineyard. Uh, the trees, it's a climatizer in summer. It's uh, give, give 
100 liters per three water in the soil with the transpiration. Uh, it's uh, it's house for the, the, the bat bird. The bat bird heat the um, d- during the comment aussi on dit des bourgeons the bud buds yeah it's birds and um, the the small um, larves of the um, papillons the petites larves de papillons butterflies the yes. uh, the larva eat, eat the bird and the bad bird eat it and it's very important now you stop in the vineyard you listen nothing You have no birds, nothing in the vineyard. You have no okay. biodiversity. And uh, but 100 uh, years ago, you had a, a lot of trees in the vineyard. So and, it, uh, it, it's back to the roots. It's back to where yes. we were before. Yes, it's, it's it's not new. No, it's not new. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yes. So so on 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 the environment side, it's extremely important. Um, About as we were talking about the futures and the and the challenges, what about the business side of it? How about the development? And there's something I want to talk to you about, and a question that I'm very interested in when it comes to food. You're working with a three-star Michelin restaurant, and yeah. and I was curious to see how do you connect with them in terms of what kind of wine to choose with what kind of uh, menus and dishes that they have. Is it the sommelier that comes to you and discovers you and says, okay, this is what I like and I would like to take this. How, how does this function? Yeah, yes. Uh, yes, they come some, some sommelier in my cellar, but we have agent to sell in restaurant because it's okay. not possible Um, alone to 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 work with the restaurant, yes, one, two, three. But now we have a different agent everywhere in France, and uh, it's necessary if you want to to sell a lot of in this restaurant. And uh, after all, sommelier come one time uh, in the cellar to <laughs> to speak about the the vineyard, the vinification, and everything. Uh, and after it's it's uh, it's important to have an agent because you have a big turnover with the sommelier in the restaurant and uh, maybe it's possible during uh, five seven ten years with the same sommelier in the same restaurant to sell a lot of and you change of sommelier and the new like okay. Dubon but it's not the favorite and okay. the agent have to know you have to continue because uh, you 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 sell a lot of dubon in your restaurant okay, okay. please continue and it's very important and after i have uh, i'm very happy to to have the the, the best uh, restoration uh, french re- restoration yeah but, but yeah, it's we, the same with uh, yeah. it's the same with akosh in uh, yes and you in uh, in london Because yes, uh, you're covered in the UK with Akash. You're, you're definitely covered for that. <laughs> um, in terms of the again, in terms of the challenges for the future, Burgundy, you were saying is 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 a, is a small area, so there's the production is is not very big. Uh, there's a lot of competition. Uh, there's a, there's an eye on on the big names. Now, how is a uh, Upcoming, even though you're very established and people know you, 
how difficult is it to compete within within the, the Burgundy wines and with the wines from outside as well? Price? No, but necessarily, not necessarily okay. about price. No, 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 no. I, I think I think the first thing that comes to my mind is is more about uh, positioning in terms of quality, the story, the way you are producing, the way you're you're, you're developing the, the taste of it, etc. Um, price is definitely not. I don't think the press price is not the first thing that comes to my mind. Actually, my generation, I think we have a very good uh, connection, and uh, we speak about everything with a lot of, uh, for me, good winemakers. For example, for the the new culture, the um, the trees in the vineyard and everything, I uh, invited uh, two big person. Uh, for a conference in my estate with uh, and and invited 15 uh, different very good winemakers from Côte de Nuit and Côte de Beaune and now we we speak about <coughs> together and we speak about the vinification and we 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 do testing uh, one time in my cellar one time in in uh, his cellar and we have a good connection it's normal because every winemaker sells the wine very well and uh, it's easier <laughs> to speak about everything uh, not with all winemakers because some winemakers uh, doesn't want to to speak about the vinification and okay secret, secret. <laughs> uh, but uh, i think it's very important for a village for example when i, I began in 91 uh, nuit saint georges and morrisonny it was at the last level it was difficult for the reputation with these villages and uh, with my generation winemakers from morrisonny now morrisonny it's very high because you have a very good winemakers you have peromino claude lambray Dujac, Cyprien Arlo, Hubert Ligny, Michelot, Mania, uh, Ponceau, a lot of very good winemakers with my generation. And in Nuit Saint-Georges, it's more slowly, slowly. Okay. And uh, now, we, with this example, you can understand it's important to have a lot of uh, conversation, uh, exchange, um, complicity, and... Uh, you, you, you go fast, and uh, it's better for uh, everyone because uh, if all people have a good wine, it's very good for the reputation for the Burgundy. Yes, and I want the same for the Haute Côte de Nuit because a big piece of Haute Côte de Nuit it's Caf Cooperative de Haute Côte, and uh, it's a very shit wine. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I was Frank. Uh, yes, okay. and uh, you, you have a lot of very young. You have a very a lot of very young winemakers from Haute Côte de Nuit, and uh, with a, a very very good wine. But it's not the same. It's not the same work, cooperative okay. and vinific and uh, winemaker. Uh, independent. Yes, I was I just, going. To, I, just, I was going to call on you, Akosh. <laughs> so I just wanted to say that uh, I think that uh, the reason why David uh, is so successful in in in, in you know in, the, in 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 among the Burgundy producers coming from nothing uh, thirty years ago is because um, he has a way of making wine which is very unique. Um, the wines are extremely easy 
to drink. It's very, very approachable uh, at young age, whereas a lot of other people, uh, if you taste them, they wines young, they are over-extracted, they're heavy, and there are some big names who command immense prices. Um, but you can open uh, Dubon 2018 today. I didn't pick 17 because, of course, David will say 17. Yeah, sure, it's easy to drink now. But even in 18, you drink it today, and the wine drinks beautifully at that, at the young age. Um, uh, and that uh, allowed people uh, in the restaurant trade who don't have the time to age the wine for 20 years before they put it by the glass, but they have to use young vintages. And this allowed us as distributors to be successful so that his wines, even though it's a young vintage, the customer, when they drink it, they just say, oh my God, it's so beautiful, so floral, so great to drink as a wine. And it's approachable immediately. Sure, fair enough. The Premier Cru, Grand Cru, at some point, five years later, it's going to close down and it's going to take 10, 15 years until they come back up and they're going to be great to drink again. But this window of three, four, five years for the young village wines are amazing. And if you have the opportunity, just don't even go to the village wines. But as David said, try his Haute Côte de Nuit or the Bourgogne Rouge, just the basic Bourgogne Rouge he makes. I mean, that's like Richard Mirin. It's on steroids. I mean, it's crazy. It's not a Bourgogne Rouge. It is was not. so much better. Uh, yeah, he wasn't steroids. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> EPO, sorry. And, um, and but, you know, he's, he's just, the entry-level wines are so great. And as someone who sells wine for a living since whatever now, 21 years, um, I can tell you, you judge the winemaker in the bad vintages and the entry-level wines. To make Chamflambertin to be great, you know what? 90% of the job has been done by the vineyard, unless you screw it up yourself. But to make a good Bourgogne Rouge, a, a very, very good, you know, Haute Côte de Nuit or a, a basic village or Chambon Musigny or Gervais Chambertin, that takes a lot of doing. And that's where really the talent of the winemaker comes out. So basically, you were saying that if you want to try, let's say, a new uh, winemaker that you know, has different, like a range of wines that are that is wide from premier grand cru to uh, entry level, try the entry level if Always. you like it. Okay. Always. If you like it's it, very most likely you're gonna like the high end one as well. Okay. Yes. And the risk is not as big because if the, if the wine is not bad... Well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, first, of, first of all, let's be honest with each other. The guy is never going to sell you Grand Cru anyway. He's going to he's gonna give you some Bourgogne Pinot Noir and some mis-entry-level wines. And then you can wait five years until you get to the list where you, you will get a little bit of allocation of the Premier Cruise and the Grand Cruise. It doesn't happen just like that. Yeah. So that's another thing about Bourgogne, which is kind of really interesting. The quantities are not large. And not everyone has access to any everything. It's no. it's uh, it's it's what it's a connection network. Uh, that's why the prices are so high. What what is it at the end of the day? How relationship. can you relationships? It's relationships. Okay, so it's relationship. I mean, you can court the winemaker for a better part of I would say what twenty years and don't get an allocation, and then eventually at some point you will. So yeah, I no mean worries. that's so okay. That, that, that's what it is. You know, so if at someone... the end of the day, it's a, it's a human business, right? A Bordeaux is a business of business people, okay? Burgundy is a relationship thing. That's a completely different thing. You should do a tour one day in Bordeaux or you do a tour one day in Burgundy and it's day and night. It's completely day and night. You go to Bordeaux into a chateau, everybody's dressed in a suit and tie and so on and so on. You go to Burgundy, everybody is filthy. They're working in the fields. 
they you know they they just there they you know it's 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 very different and you can go to the romani conti and people are totally dressed down they work they're relaxed it's not like going to chateau latour not at all okay okay so it's good it's a soci- sociological uh, discovery absolutely <laughs> absolutely okay if there you have anyone has any questions you can uh, ask them now Uh, what percentage of Burgundy wine is the land price? Akos. The, the question is, we discussed that once, that in Burgundy you arrive to the point where the price of the land is not reflective at all of the price of the wine. You cannot, because the return on investment, if you buy a Grand Cru today, what is a hectare of Grand Cru, David, today? What is it? 60 million, 70 million? I don't know. What is it now? Uh, for, If you want to buy last, like a... The, the last uh, six months ago, uh, it was uh, 70 million for Clovujo. Clovujo, okay. which, which is not... With Echezo, yeah. it's yeah. the first premier cru, the last yeah. or the first premier cru, but yeah. usually it was eight, uh, 800,000 euros per ouvré. Mm-hmm. Ouvré, it's uh, 400... Uh, 400 meters uh, square, square meters. meters square meters, meters. Yes. yes okay yes. <laughs> now it's uh, yeah yeah definitely it's not it's not in the, it's not seen in the price so you can't price. you know you, you, <laughs> the, you the so basically <laughs> you, you have to dissociate the land price from the business the business needs to The bottles need to pay for the survival of the business the business makes money on its own you need to consider And that is the reason why billionaire's playground Burgundy has become, as Yoda would say, uh, because basically they have to dissociate it. They buy the real estate like buying a building in Paris or buying a building in London. And then they have the rent to cover the costs of the running of the building. That's the same thing for producing wine. And then you hope that the value of the building is going to increase by the quality of the work that you do by raising the image of your property, the quality of your wines, but never you're going to have a return on investment by selling wine to the investment of one hectare for 70 million. No way. It's not possible. Assuming some of the cost of the land is, is, is a funny model. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a funny model. It's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a billionaire's playground. That's yes. it. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. If there's uh, no further questions, we're getting to the end of the uh, conversation, David. Uh, but always, we finish with the pivot questionnaire. Are you are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So first question: What is your favorite word? Health, santé. Okay. C'est What ça. is your least favorite word? Conflict. What's your favorite virtue? Tolerance. Uh, your favorite quality in a man? Kindness. What your favorite quality in a woman? Abnegation, self-sacrifice. Okay. <laughs> What wine would you use to describe yourself? Louis Saint George. Okay. Uh, sometimes your... it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What is your favorite curse word? Any language? <laughs> I'm I faced. <laughs> you what? I'm I am I faced. I don't um, I don't have uh, a don't favorite eat. curse. Comment on dit uh, athée? Non, mais il n'y a pas de gros mots, il n'y a rien. Ce n'est de... pas non. nécessairement un truc religieux. <rire> non, non, ça va être... <rire> euh... Ok. Non, non je n'ai rien. 
Ok, pas de problème. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Snow. Because, yes. because nothing. Silence. What sound or noise do you hate? Cracking. What plant or animal would you like to be reincarnated in? Tree. And the, the last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gate? You drink a glass with me? David Dubon, thank you so much. Thank you. This concludes the wine hour for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, next show is on January 13. Have a beautiful end of year. I wish you all the best. Until then, drink in moderation. Be well and safe. Faith always. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.